It's the second hour of First Up here on TSN 1050. You can find us live on your radio, live streaming tsn1050.ca or wherever podcasts are found. It is Koronik and it's Koliakovo. And you can find Kyle Dubas on a phone, maybe two phones. Maybe he needs to utilize a fax machine, you know, all types of devices. Because this man is wheeling and dealing these days, executing another big deal yesterday. Early afternoon with the Blackhawks bringing in Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty from Chicago for draft picks. Who cares about draft picks anymore? The Leafs, Coco, they are feeling themselves, and rightfully so. The draft picks are an afterthought. Winning this year is at the forefront. It absolutely is, and it should be. Um, And credit for Dubas for, again, being aggressive and going out and identifying the types of players he needs to fill out the rest of this roster. And sometimes, you know, you got to pay a price to get good value on the deal. And the first and the second round pick that you had to pay in this, you're getting a guy like Lafferty who's having a breakout season, scoring 11 goals, playing in Chicago's bottom six. You wonder how he'll fit in Toronto's bottom six. And you're getting a top four defenseman in Jake McCabe for 50% of the contract for the next two seasons, two seasons plus this one uh, remaining. So incredible value that he, that, he, that he bought in this deal. When you're buying that type of value, it's going to cost a price. It cost him a first, a second, and Joey Anderson and uh, Gogolov, one of their other uh, American League uh, prospects. So Gogolov, my jersey. You know, what am I going to do with my yeah. Pavel Gogolov jersey? Say, say what you want about you know the deal, and uh, I think it's. I think Kyle Dubas did some in, some incredible work. You know, maneuvering with the salary cap, getting a top four defenseman at, at great value, and and you know with Jake McCabe. Look, I played with him in his rookie season. I knew this kid had potential because he's a fierce competitor, and. You just wondered, you know, putting him in a situation, playing on a good team, how much better he can be. He hasn't found that situation yet, playing in Buffalo for all those years, playing in Chicago for all those years. But now you put him in a situation where on a bad team, he was a plus player, a plus seven player. I think the only player on the roster that was that. Yeah. <laughs> and we got Mike Kelly joining us in the 8 o'clock hour uh, from Sports Logic. He'll help us understand the value that uh, Jake McCabe has brought to analytically to this group. And there's not much. All you can give this deal is two thumbs up because they checked two more boxes that you hope are going to help change the, the, the playoff result for this team come playoff time. Yeah, two thumbs up for this year, where, as you mentioned, McCabe will slide into the Maple Leafs' top six on the back end, and who comes out, that's a debate we'll have in just a moment. But let's hear from Kyle Dubas on what he likes about his new acquisition on the back end in Jake McCabe. When we're going through different guys, obviously it's with Jake Muzzin out that creates the, the hole there that we've talked about in previous availabilities and uh, feel like he, he fits that. And then uh, once we kind of got through the salary part with um, um, uh, with uh, Chicago, it, it just kind of fits in and makes sense. And I also like the fact that he's got this year and two more to follow. And, um, you know, he's just uh, just 29 years old here now and just turned 29. So um, versus the others on the market, still uh, one of the younger uh, of the group. So we're excited to have him come in and look forward to working with him. So the, the playoff experience is one thing, and you've mentioned it. That, that was your only holdup with Jake McCabe for the mm. last two months 
guys never play in the playoffs. And Kyle Dubas, I guarantee you, well, he knew it because he was talking about this question yesterday and addressed the concern if there ever was one with McCabe and his lack of postseason experience. I, I have a, a, just a very unique way of looking at it in that we had Ron Hainsey here, um, who was the same, um, went through his whole NHL career, didn't play in a playoff game, had some of that when he was younger, and then went to Pittsburgh and stepped in and was a key, uh, key part for them in, in winning the Stanley Cup. Um, and I actually uh, went back and forth with Ronnie this this morning about that. Um, you know, you, you you never know. Um, it's you'd love to have guys who've all won before and all done it. But I, I just think the way that he plays is the best, probably projection of how he's going to be in those moments. Uh, look again. It's tough to evaluate a guy that's played in no playoff games, but at some point in his career, he's got to hopefully play some, right? And. If you put him in this in this scenario with this with this group and this team, you hope maybe you get the same result that uh, that Ron Hainsey got, you know, when he struck uh, lightning in a bottle, getting traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins and helping them go on their Stanley Cup run. Uh, to me, when you look when you're evaluating this deal, that's the only thing that I get hesitant about because you look at all the other moves that Dubis has made, going right back from the from the off season. You know, you bring in Matt Murray and. Remember all the criticism he faced about making that acquisition. And, you know, I think a lot of the reasons why people doubted that is because of exactly what we've seen with Matt Murray this year. Can you trust him to be healthy and be trusted to be available? And I think that's still a big question mark, right? I mean, we don't know what's wrong with Matt Murray. I mean, Kyle Dubas gave us an update saying that, you know, he's he's due to come off IR. He's progressing in the right direction, but... Come playoff time, if you're getting playoff Matt Murray, that's another thing. But if he's not available for you, that how much does that hurt this team? So the same thing can be said about, you know, the move for Ryan O'Reilly and Olachari. You know, the checks, the playoff experience box, the playoff big moments box, because those guys have played in them. And, you know, you bring in a guy like Lafferty and McCabe, two guys that have zero playoff experience, especially a guy as as seasoned as McCabe is and the role he's probably going to be asked to play, either playing a top-line shutdown role guy or somewhere in the top four. But regardless of how you feel about that, the best way to look at this deal is both players you brought in has made the team better. And especially for McCabe, he's a big-time upgrade for what they already have on defense. Yeah, and you can get your Brian McCabe jerseys out of your closets and rock them <laughs> down pr- proudly down at Leaf Games once again with Jake back in the line. I believe he's wearing number two. Quickly on McCabe, again, you mentioned you play with him. You know his game very well. Yeah. Is he equipped to play a Jake Muzzin shutdown yes. role? We remember last year it was Muzzin and Brody were going up against the Kucherov and Braden Point when he was in the lineup, which was uh, yes. not that long. And, and so you think Jake, you think Jake McCabe is that guy to replace Jake oh, Muzzin? I, absolutely is. This guy... Like I said, he 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 is described as playing fierce, right? He he embraces the physicality part of the game. I actually think he's a better skater than than Jake Muzzin, so that that's a positive. And you know, he's a guy that you can trust to play all situations. A great penalty killer, blocks a lot of shots. Uh, there's so many uh, very positive, uh, you know, um, intangibles that he brings to his game, and and you wonder. He's been doing that. He's been carving out a career playing that way on really bad teams. What what you really wonder is is how much his game can transition to be better playing with a really good team 
like the Toronto Maple Leafs, <laughs> and and, that, and and if you know if it if it ends up being a significant, um, you know, transition to his game, you're talking about an incredible uh, move that you just made because for the next two years, you got a top four defense, maybe top pairing defense, and for two million dollars, I yeah. mean, it's I, I you can't get any better value than that. And I know plus minus is a flawed stat. Like that goes without saying these days. But you look at McCabe and his partner in Seth Jones and just the incredible disparity between the two as far as their plus minus goes. I mean, McCabe was what? Plus, plus seven. Jones, a minus 22. I don't even know how that's possible. But for whatever reason, McCabe uh, was performing a lot better than any other D men on the Chicago Blackhawks, including the one making $9 million plus per season. So there's a lot of excitement, and rightfully so. I would ask you, Coco, as a former D-man, and I saw our man Frankie on Overdrive yesterday, was putting his options on the back end for the Maple Leafs. Who would you play Jake McCabe with tonight, or I guess tomorrow night, I should say, against the Edmonton Oilers? Who would be your the tandem you'd want to see him with? Well, I, I think for the first game, you ease him in, right? I mean, clearly there's going to be a lot of emotions and uh, maybe a lot of nerves. And uh, depending on who's playing on the bottom pair, is it Timmins, is it Sandine, is it Justin Hall? Uh, I, I would leave the, the Riley Brody and the Giordano Lilligren pairing together. You ease him in. You see how comfortable he is to start. And... I mean, do you really want to throw them in? You know, throw them to the wolves in the first game against the Edmonton Oilers, where you got McDavid and Drysaddle <laughs> coming at you full speed. Get ready. I mean, I I think for the first game, you ease him in, and you see how he feels, see how you know he's looking, and you know the see where the game is headed, and maybe throughout the game, you can slowly slot him into different places. And I think if we learned anything from the way Sheldon Keefe approaches these type of situations, I think that's the safest approach he's going to use, where he's not going to be in a rush to put this guy in the position that he probably envisions him come playoff time. It's sort of like you let him learn the system, you let him get comfortable with his surroundings, and then you slowly move him into the position that you see him in. Now, we'll ask Chris Johnston, our hockey insider, about this in just over 30 minutes, but I am very curious to see how this all plays out from a salary cap perspective because right now the Leafs are over the cap, and if they want to activate Matt Murray, that is, which they want to do as perhaps as early as tomorrow ahead of the game against Edmonton, they're going to need to make a subsequent move. And is that move trading Pierre Engvall? Is it trading Alex Kerfoot? Is it trading Justin Hall? And I don't know the answer to that, but maybe Chris Johnston does. But I do wonder with Justin Hall in particular, if McCabe basically just takes his spot. And you look at the way things have been trending for Hall, and you mentioned Giordano playing with Timothy Lilligren. Justin Hall has been kind of having his his ice time wane a little bit. His role is altered a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and perhaps that's an indication he's falling a little bit out of favor with the team. And, and Hall is a free agent at the end of the year. McCabe's got two more years left on his deal. Connor Timmons is signed as well for next year. So I do wonder maybe if Justin Hall is the guy on the outside looking in. But I think if I'm the Leafs, I want as much depth on the back end as possible. And right now, mm-hmm. they are eight deep with NHL defensemen. And if you're talking about a team that wants to go to the Stanley Cup and go all four rounds, I guarantee you, you're going to need all eight defensemen. Like, there's no yeah. doubt about it. And maybe you can use Jordy Ben or Victor Mete in a role, but probably feel a lot more comfortable having Justin Hall. But at the same time, They've got to make the salaries work. And who's the odd man out? I don't know. 
And and you look at it with Kerfoot maybe having his spot replaced by Sam Lafferty coming over from Chicago. So Dubas and Brandon Pridham and Brandon Shanahan, they're not done yet. They've got another move to make. The question is, what is it? And how, how would you go about approaching this? Well, I would, I would be very hesitant to move Justin Hall, um, you know, just because if you lose one of your top six defensemen come playoff time, who are you bringing in? Jordy Ben, Connor Timmins, Rasmus Sandin, not very much experience there, right? And say what you want about Justin Hall, this guy has built up a resume of playoff experience with this team. I have a feeling that the Maple Leafs are going to maybe make some sort of roster decision that allows them to keep everybody around, whether they use LTIR or, you know, waivers or whatever it may be and slide a guy down. Um, if I was to probably predict what they're going to do, I, I would have to think that either one of Kerfoot or Engvall is a guy that's moved out because they have a surplus of forwards, right, considering – you know, some of the guys that we've seen from the Marlies come up and play that have, you know, been able to, to get some minutes there too. So, and between those two guys, that gives them the most flexibility that they could potentially gain cap wise because of the salaries that they make. Yeah, Kerfa 3.5, Engvall 2.2. And I don't know how their roles, like, keep in mind, Pierre Engvall has zero goals in 17 playoff games. He is not been. Right. A playoff performer, and I think the idea of bringing in guys like Lafferty, bringing in guys who have Nolachari, who have that playoff experience, that ability to score goals in the you know, close to the net, and you know tap them in, bang them in. That's the type of goals that the Maple Leafs are looking for from their bottom six. That's just something that Pierre Engvall has not been able to provide historically, but. I don't know. That's why uh, you know we're sitting here talking about the team, and Dubis and Shanahan are the ones who are orchestrating these moves. So we'll find out what Chris Johnson thinks about how the Leafs will proceed here. We'll also play some make sense or nonsense. And the subject of Kyle Dubas's contract is something that has also come up over the last couple of weeks. These are significant trades that he's making, bringing, bringing dudes in and also shipping out futures in draft picks and prospects. What does that mean for Kyle Dubas's future in particular? Perhaps we'll discuss that and much more on the other side with Make Sense or Nonsense in Hour 2 of First Up next. You know what makes no sense? How Connor McDavid has 50 goals before the trade deadline. 50 goals. He scored twice last night. The Oilers did lose to the Boston Bruins. I don't know what makes less sense. Is it Boston's record this year? Out there on pace for 63 wins, which would be an NHL record. Or McDavid being on pace for 67 goals. Yeah. Like, I think back to Matthews last year scoring 60, and it seemed like he was scoring every night, which he basically did. It, it, this is unprecedented what McDavid is doing. Also, this, the 67 goals is one part. That's what he's on pace for. He is also on pace for 154 points. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, and, and it's 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 what most of us predicted he would do this year. I think, well, like, literally every year Connor McDavid's in the league, before the season starts, just put 100 points beside him because he's getting that easily every year in his in his NHL career. I don't see how he doesn't. It's it's just it's ridiculous what this guy is doing, and it's so fun to watch 
And it's so frustrating to watch, too, him play for the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers, who are so bad defensively. I watched that game last night and some of the goals they gave up. But you know what else is so frustrating? Did you see his second intermission interview where he scored the 50th goal, he has asked to interview, and he literally showed zero emotion. It was he like to, he, was he doesn't most, care about that at all. It's he like, doesn't. dude. Be a little bit McHappy a little bit. Like, you, you got 50 goals, man. You're he the best player 50. of the game. Yeah, but he's also got a team that is, like, oh un, I, I don't know, are they, are they underachieving or are they just not that good? But it, it's, this this guy is basically having, like, a, a Michael Jordan-esque regular season, and his team is just so, floundering. Like, they're you know in the what playoffs. I, they're going to make the playoffs, but they just should be so much better with the way that their offense is. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I think the problem at Edmonton is? And I've played on teams like this before. They hear and they see so many things that are being said about them. About trades and certain players that are that are linked to them. This, the Edmonton Oilers need to make a trade so that the players in that room can do one of two things. They can celebrate and be energized by a new acquisition, or they can remove a player in that locker room that has been been rumored to be traded and gone for for the whole season. Because <laughs> honestly, like you got a guy like Puyarvi who who since since the since the season started has been rumored to be traded and all he's doing is being is sticking around getting moved and shuffled in the different spots in the lineup and all you hear about is a defenseman they're going to a target like either go get rid of Puyarvi or go out and get the defensive do one of two things to re-energize this group because it just feels like this is a team that is waiting for something to happen and is completely distracting them do you think Pooley Arvey's just traveled around with a massive suitcase for the last three months? Probably. Wherever he goes. Goes, hey, you want to go for dinner? Sure, I'll bring my massive food suitcase and in case I get traded. Hold on. One, one thing about McDavid. Ten multi-goal games this season. Ties which player for the most in the NHL this season? There's some trivia for you. Go ahead. Ooh. Pasternak? It's not Pasternak. That would have been my guess as well. Dude, I don't think there's any chance on how you would get this. It's Mark Shifley. I was going to say Cal Connor. Yeah, but, that's your that's your favorite player in the NHL. But yeah, is. Mark Shifley. Top 10 guy. <laughs> Mark Shifley's got 10 multi-goal games this year. Shout out to him. That is something that, to me, makes very little sense. Uh, but it makes a lot of sense to welcome in our producer, Cheese, to continue the conversation. Cheese. There it is. Make sense or nonsense? What are our topics today, Cheese? Well, you guys are giving McDavid his flowers, so let's continue on the McJesus theme. Connor McDavid could sit every game for the rest of the season, and he would still be deserving to win the Hart Trophy. Uh, yeah, makes sense for me. <laughs> I mean, I just, like, he's got what? I'm just trying to pull it up here. He's got 150 points. The answer is obviously no. Like, what do you mean? He's got would catch him. Pasternak no, would score 10 more goals. Yeah, okay, so there is 21 games left to play, okay? He has a 30-point lead on David Pasternak. You think <laughs> oh, David Pasternak? No, no, I thought you were talking about goals. Like, Pasternak would catch him in goals easily. 
would blow past him in goals. And yeah, oh, yeah. Might 100%. Him. So, so here, here's, why the answer, well, here's why that's nonsense. Number one, Edmonton would miss the playoffs. So that's true. They, like 100% they would miss the playoffs. And number two, Pasternak would beat him by like eight or nine goals and play for a team that's going to win 60 games. Pasternak would win the Hart Trophy if okay. the game didn't play again. Also, okay, that, that, makes not, sense. Not, that makes sense. And, Save Mario Lemieux back in some of those ridiculous seasons. I think there was one year where he played like 50 games and won the Hart Trophy. But that just doesn't happen. If mm-hmm. a player plays 60 games, they don't win the Hart. As amazing as McDavid is, if he plays 70 games, he'll probably win the Hart. And let's hope he plays all 82 because I want to see what numbers he gets to. But, no, that's nonsense, Cheese. Okay, here's a make sense or nonsense, Cheese. Cheese, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but since we're on the goal oh. topic... Make sense or nonsense, the NHL will have 10 50-goal scorers this year. 10? That's a big number. Okay. So you have, you have McDavid and Pasternak. Okay, so the 10th oh, player... has got to be up there. On. The 10th player on this list right now is Jason Robertson with 35 goals. Remember so when, he, when he player, was leading? The 10th player in the league has 35 goals. So 35 goals... You would need 15 goals in 22 games right now. No, I don't see it. I got Bo Horvat's not getting 14 goals from here on out. Braden Point's not doing it. I mean, Kaprizov, wow, Miko Rantanen has 40 goals this year. What a season. <laughs> but yeah, Robertson has not been the same player he was early on. It's really cooled off. Like I don't think Ovechkin or Nylander are ripping off um, numbers to get in line with that. I think that's nonsense. They're not getting the 10. Okay. I would also I would also say it's nonsense, but I mean the fact that you have to think about it is pretty impressive, and it speaks to how many good goal scorers there are. Right, this year. fifteen goals in twenty-two games. We're talking about for players. Like it's it doesn't seem it's like doable. a huge mountain to climb. You know, that's but actually a good Fanduel prop that we can create. Number Ooh. of fifty goal scorers this year. I love that. I don't think the over under. I think the over under is probably like. Seven, seven and, and a half, half or yeah. eight or eight and a half something yeah. like that but yeah. i think that's interesting we'll talk to our friends at fanduel about that great oh, idea bro. you are a content machine for fanduel am, buddy. and the amount of money they've been taking from us lately they deserve to <laughs> we deserve to get some love from them on their yeah, website we need commission we need commission. we should yeah it's like we're do- we're donating money we should be, it should be a tax write-off the way we're <laughs> giving money to fanduel these days go ahead cheese all right you teased it before the break so let's get to it Kyle Dubas trading two first-round picks in a 10-day span is a sign that he will be extended in the offseason regardless of what happens in the playoffs against the Lightning. Um, look, I, I'm going to say this makes sense. I think if you really evaluate Kyle Dubas' job as a whole, is, what is he going into, his sixth year or fifth year as, as GM? I, I guess I say fifth year. I mean, the Maple Leafs have consistently been a top five team under Kyle Dubas's direction. Say what you want about the playoff success, but what other team in the league has been that consistent in the regular season considering all of the hurdles teams have had to basically jump through with a flat cap and salary cap restrictions and inflated salaries I mean, I I think I think it's going to come down to this. It's going to come down to the way. If they lose, it's the way they lose. If they lose in a game seven again, you can't sit there and, and fire everybody. What what are you accomplishing by doing that? Right? I, I yeah you it just he's done a great job this year. I mean, it's hard to really 
have, take issue with too many things that Kyle Dubas has done and the way he's managed everything, the trades that he's executed. I think both big and, deals made in the last two weeks have been really good. I'd be stunned, honestly, if he wasn't back next year. I think he deserves to be back. He's done great work. And think about think how, how much he's evolved, too, as a GM when he came in and, and had a certain way of wanting to build a team and then each year getting a better understanding of what type of player he needs to bring into them to the mix to to try to change the results i mean he's trying it's it's not like you can't sit there and, and make, okay, yeah you can say whatever you want and be critical whatever you want but he every year he's continuing to put himself out there and continually to, to to actively try to make this team better and that's literally as a gm that's what you ask for your gm and you know the 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 way people were criticizing about the certain players he was identifying. Well, he's not doing that anymore. So that's what you have to give him credit for, and, and especially with how creative he's being with some of these deals. I mean, you're getting a top, the Jake McCabe deal. He 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 got Chicago to eat fifty percent of that contract, a top four defenseman for half the price for the next two years. And you remember so the shrewd work. The, the Dubis Kyle Davidson, the GM of Chicago, somehow leaked that report. Remember last year there was the Mark Andre Fleury Matthew right. Nyes trade. I guess it was Brandon right. Hagel was part of it too. That um, was leaked probably by Chicago's side, and Dubis was not happy about it. No. So I guess Kyle Kyle Davidson owed him one. That's kind of the way I look at it. Sure. Sorry about yeah. the leak last year, KD. <laughs> I'll retain well, some of that salary. No and, worries. And people buddy. can say, and there have been people that have criticized Chicago for not properly managing their their assets because if you're going to swallow 50 percent of the contract you should have got more in the deal but chicago's probably thinking okay they're probably going to trade out three or four more players they have to get to the cap floor next year so having that two million dollars on the cap for next year when they're going through a full rebuild is probably something that they're going to need over the next three drafts chicago has six first round picks 17 picks in total, in the first three rounds wow. over the next three drafts. So they have they a better, loaded They better strike up. gold here. Yes, no doubt. Cheese, go ahead. The Leafs roster, as currently constructed after yesterday's trade, is the deepest lineup in the Shanaplan era. Uh, that's really tough to say without actually looking at years past. I think... The lineup that they actually constructed when they acquired Nick Foligno in the bubble year, I think could push this group to being as deep as it is. I mean, because you had Hyman. Um, God, I'm trying to think of what other players they lost that offseason. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to think off the top of my head. But it's close. It's right up there for sure. I'm gonna say it absolutely. I'm gonna say it absolutely makes sense for sure. Look at the depth that they have. Like they have two NHL defensemen who will probably be sitting for them come postseason. Timmins, Hall, whoever, maybe Rasmus Sandin. They've done a really good job of building depth, and they have the top flight players. We know what they represent in the top six. I mean, they've got a great top six. A, you know, decent top four. I think I don't know how well I would say they stack up against a team like Tampa or Boston, but it's pretty obvious that this team has done a really good job of building depth. Not only depth, but also versatility in their lineup. And that is really, really important. You know what Ryan O'Reilly can do, and John Tavares now playing the wing. Jake McCabe can play the left side and the right side, and Achari can move up and down your lineup as needed. I think they've done a really good job of building depth, and that's why, Cheese, 
I think it makes a lot of sense that you suggest this is the deepest team of the Shanaplan era. Will it be the only team that go to the second round? That remains to be seen. They've got a very difficult matchup with Tampa in round one, but I think they position themselves to succeed as best they can, and we'll see how it all plays out. That's all we can really do at this point, but I think Dubas and the Leafs have given themselves a really good opportunity to do just that. Bet and breakfast on the other side, and we'll talk to Chris Johnston, our hockey insider, in about 12 minutes. More first up after this. We've got Chris Johnston in about seven minutes. We'll look ahead to what the Toronto Maple Leafs could do ahead of the deadline on Friday, 3 p.m. Now they're going to clear out some salary cap space for Matt Murray's impending return. But our friends at FanDuel Coco have posted some props over under for player goals this season. Austin Matthews, 41 and a half goals is his over under. And I got to be honest, I'm a little intrigued. <laughs> I am a little intrigued with so regards he's got, to the over. He's got 28 right now. And the Maple Leafs have what? Uh, 21 games left? 22 games left. 22, so games, 22 left. games left. So he needs 13 goals in 22 games? I guess it would be 14 goals in 22 games. 14 goals. 41 and a half, yeah. Wow, Mitch Marner plays alongside well, that's it, his right? wing. That's it. Nylander is 44 and a half goals, and he's at, what, 33, Three. I believe. So he would need 12. So 12. Yeah. 12, yeah. So it's interesting. It's a fascinating one right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued I'm gonna by say, both. I'm going to say under for Matthews hmm. just because – are we are we talking about a guy that's fully healthy, or is there something lingering with him? Because he's already missed a couple of, or he's already been given a couple of load management days, and you never want to speculate that about a player. But the Maple Leafs have given us reason to speculate that this year, and you just wonder down the stretch if there's like a week left in the season, what type of approach they're going to take with him? Because what's going to matter most, him being healthy for the last three games, or him being fully healthy once the playoffs start? So. Yep. I think that's the hook there with Austin Matthews. I, I tend to agree. I, I would always lead under, and you could always see some rest down the stretch as well. In the final right. game, game or two of the season, I mean, that's not something that is uncommon. How about Tage Thompson? 53.5 goals is his over-under on FanDuel. They have 24 games left Do the Buffalo Sabres. Thompson at 40 goals, so he would need yeah. 14 in his last 24. I think that's pretty I, the way he's been I would, firing uh, these days. I would bet the over on that just because of the way Buffalo scores goals. They're the, lead, the the highest scoring team in the league. They're probably going to find themselves in a lot of high scoring games because as much as they score, they give up just as many. So I think there's more opportunity for him to be put in those situations to score goals. I'm looking for the McDavid number when it comes out. I would guess probably, what, 65 and a half? Yeah, I believe he's on pace for 67 goals, is 97 after two last night to get him to 50 on the season. We'll get into that with Chris Johnson, our hockey insider, plus the Leafs, the trade that they made, and the trades that they could look to make ahead of the 3 p.m. deadline on Friday. CJ next on First Up. This is Leafs Breakfast. Welcome into Leafs Breakfast for your Tuesday morning. Aaron Korolnik and Carlo Koliakovo with you. And it is our treat to welcome around the table our man Chris Johnson, who made 
international headlines yesterday for his car sensor going off repeatedly during an interview on Overdrive last night. We encourage you to check out the podcast because I'm not sure I've ever heard Frankie Corrado laughing that hard. What's up, CJ? Oh, man, I'm not sure when I'm going to live that one down, but uh, good, good news. I'm in the house right now, so there's, there'll be no censors today. Coco, you got to turn your mic on, buddy. I, I'm so glad to hear you lie because I seriously thought you flatlined yesterday yeah. with that noise. <laughs> <laughs> or was it that the was... Leafs that gave you life, CJ? Ooh. Because uh, they make another big trade yesterday. Help us uh, digest uh, what your thoughts are on this trade. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the trade market has some life, which is nice. Uh, it's been a busy couple weeks, really, but certainly from the weekend through Monday. And, you know, I... It's it's this is as aggressive as we've seen Kyle Dubas, you know, in any of the trade deadlines that that he's managed the Leafs. Um, you know, I, I think it's the right time to be sacrificing picks uh, to to be trying to to load up for this year. And I think you know, specific to this move, you know, getting Jake McCabe who has two more years on his contract, and even Sam Lafferty who's who signed through next year, you know, makes the the price they paid I think uh, very you know quite reasonable, you know, because. These are these are guys that are going to help for multiple years, and and they come at at cost controlled deals, and that's the name of the game right now in a hard cap league, you know, for a team like the Leafs to to have that kind of cost certainty. Chris, there were a lot of people around the NHL, at least at least what I saw on social media, who were really surprised at the price that Tampa paid for a guy like Tanner Janot from Nashville. What was the reaction around the NHL with the price that Kyle Dubas paid to bring in McCabe and Lafferty? Yeah, two different reactions. You know, I, I had, you know, a lot of the people that I talk with or communicate with around the league, you know, were surprised, thought it was, you know, maybe a, someone had screwed up somewhere when the, when the trade details came out on that Tampa deal, just because, you know, not, not very many trades you see, you know, a player and, and that many picks go out the door, five picks. Only in junior hockey. Right, exactly. It's not, not really an NHL-style deal, but... Um, you know, in, in the Leafs case, they gave up a little bit more quality. There's a 2025 first rounder, a future second rounder, but you know, again, you're getting two players and you're, and you know, you have them under, under some control, but the Blackhawks also kept 50% of McCabe's salary. So, you know, if you, if you look around the league, a $2 million defenseman, he's much better, I think, than a $2 million defenseman in terms of how he plays. And so, you know, I think it was, it was, you know, some people were, were saying, call it kind of a superb trade at, you know, one of the Leafs better trades. So, um, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to kick any fan at the, at the Lightning. I think that Julian Brisebois, their general manager, is, is at the top of the game at what he does. You know, and, and I think he's managed his team really well, and, and he understands he's only got so much to sell. He, did, he didn't have multiple first-rounders to trade, so you know, he found a way to get the, the player he wants, and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out in the first round. CJ, what do you think is next for the Maple Leafs? They... They fill out their roster again, bringing in two more players. They address the, they follow the, the the Colorado Avalanche blueprint, you know, which is what most people have been suggesting they do with the top six forward, two bottom six guys, the top four defensemen. But with Murray close to being activated, they're very close to the cap. So, what do you think the next move is here for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think they need to see what their guys are worth on the marketplace to see if. Some of the you know potential pending unrestricted free agents, whether it's Alex Kerfoot or Pierre Engvall or, or Justin Hall, if if it makes sense to deal one of them, I think they have the depth now where you could feel comfortable in subtracting 
at, you know, one piece from, from the bottom end of the roster and particular players that are, you know, not necessarily likely to be back because of their contract situation. You know, if, if the price though, isn't worth it, I, they don't have to do it. There's, they can still get cap compliant just by sending Joseph Wall back to the American Hockey League and then demoting one more player. It would, it would require that, that player to be passed through waivers, but you know, it's at least an option to them. They don't, they don't have to trade someone away. And then, so I think that they can now get, get sort of picky because they, they've done their big business. I think we recognize that, um, you know, they, they can sort of see what makes the most sense. And, and, you know, I believe all along that's sort of been Kyle Dubas's approach. You know, it's not as though he had a specific number of players in mind or things he had to do. I think he was just looking for all the ways he could, he could better the roster. And, 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 you know, maybe, Maybe they're making another trade out and bringing one more in. I don't, I don't think they've ruled out that possibility yet because there's still a few more days left to, to see what the market uh, yields. Let's hope so because Trade Center 3 p.m. Friday could, it's looking a little bit a little bit thin right now. Again, Chris Johnston, our Hockey Insider, with us here on First Stop. Let's talk about the Maple Leafs opponent tomorrow night in the Edmonton Oilers. We saw McDavid score twice. He's up to 50 on the season. And Edmonton, it's pretty obvious they're going to trade for a defenseman. It's just a matter of who it is, how many defensemen they're going to bring in. What's the latest on that front, Chris? Well, they're, they're, they're certainly in on some of the, the bigger names or contracts left on the market. You know, Matias Ekholm uh, is someone that they've looked at in Nashville. That's a hard trade for them to make. You, you know, he, he earns $6.25 million against the cap, so... You know, Edmonton is almost a money in, money out team, so they'd have to be finding a way to, to clear out six million. Again, not not impossible to do, but you know, it's getting down to crunch time here. And you know, Ken Holland is under you know considerable amount of pressure in his market. I think from the fans, um, you know, a lot of expectation to see him upgrade his team, and, and they just haven't been able to do it yet. You know, I know they've called Joel Edmondson on, in, in Montreal, called, called on him rather. You know, they've they've kind of hung around the Jacob Chikrin thing. We'll see maybe if that is the direction they go. But, you know, I think that they'd like to add a D and also to the bottom six end of their team. But, you know, you just wonder as we get down to these final days, you know, there's got to be a huge amount of heat uh, on the Oilers. And, and, you know, especially in a year where we've heard so much about, you know, so many of these teams that are trying to contend have cap issues, but they still manage to get business done, you know, whether it's, right. You know the Rangers, the Leafs, the the, the Bruins made a big trade. They, you know they didn't have much cap room. The Lightning always find a way. You know I think Edmonton's really got to find a way to push through here and make some deals. And and you know if they don't, you know that marketplace is oh is gonna is gonna melt melt down. Because look, got, <laughs> the, the marketplace. What about McDavid? Oh <laughs> I mean, yeah, the guy, He's the guy scored fifty That's goals yesterday and couldn't even be happy about it. I mean, can you imagine if they don't make a trade? Jeez. It's his eighth season in the league. He's getting better still somehow. Like yeah. he's, he's more productive, and there's, it's just right. In front. And look at their players. I mean, even Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they're having monster seasons. I mean, yeah. I think that that management does need to, to do something for them, and we'll see. We'll see what it is. I, I'm not sure they, they've had their lines in so many different ponds. Like they've they've been trying, but they, they got to get something done. Sounds like Tyler Bertuzzi, according to our hockey insider Darren Dreger, could be on the market. And I've been waiting, I think everyone's been waiting for Carolina to make some kind of move to counter the other five top teams in the East. Bertuzzi and Carolina, is that a possible fit there, Chris? You know, it, it could be. And this is an interesting name back on the, on the 
the, the trade market because most of the forwards are gone, right? I mean, we, we know that Patrick Kane formally hasn't been traded, but he's spoken for, and then a lot of the other impact players are, are out of the way. And so if you are a team looking to to improve up front the way Colorado is too, not just Carolina, uh, those those are two teams that I would would put my eyes on. You know, you're choosing between sort of what I'd call secondary players at this stage of their career, whether it's, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, you know, there's there's more kind of bottom six forwards, but there's not a lot there. And so Bertuzzi being available, you know, there, I would think there's a market for him. You know, Carolina, though, he's a rental player. You know, that's that's not typically the way they go. I know that they have kicked the tires on some of the forwards with, with still some term left. You know, they looked at Jordan Schmaltz out of Arizona, but I think there's there's maybe too much money left on that contract for the player that he is, you know, for, for their liking. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But th- this is a bit of a pivot for Detroit because they they kind of pulled Bertuzzi back, you know, because they're right in the thick of the Eastern Conference wildcard race. But I think they're seeing the prices go and, and realizing they have to at least consider making a move. So I don't think it's a guarantee Bertuzzi's dealt, but, but certainly Dreg's his intel's right that the teams are out there now uh, with a chance to trade for him. CJ, what's the latest with Jacob Chikrin? I mean, if I was Jacob Chikrin, I'd be absolutely losing my mind. I've been trying to get traded for two years, and I'm watching all these trades go down, and I'm sitting at home waiting by my pool for Arizona to trade me. I, I, it's, it's a really bizarre situation, but what's, what's going to be the end result here? Where does this guy ultimately end up? Well, let's hope he's traded. I think for everyone's sake, you, you can look at it and say that that's probably the best resolution here. I mean, I can't recall a player truly being on the, on the trade block for two years straight and, and quite publicly uh, with lots of conjecture around it, you know, the way Jacob Chikrin has. Um, you know, I think if there's one positive, you know, a team like Washington has at least checked in on him after getting an extra first-round pick of the deal they made. Um, you know, I, I think new teams are kind of at least emerging to see if they can get them and, and, and there's still, there's lots of teams that like them. So ultimately, you know, Arizona set a high price. Maybe they can drop it down a little bit here in the next few days, just, just even a tad to, to get this done. But I, I don't see how anyone benefits if, you know, it's Saturday morning and he's still a member of the Coyotes, especially after the fact that set out what seven, eight games at this point, yeah. waiting for the trade. I mean, in addition to everything else, he hasn't played in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I'm, I still think that there's a market for them, which is important. Um, they, they've just got to maybe lower the ask and, and get this done because this this is dragged on far too long. Do you think like a guy like him and even Gavrikov right now, who's been sitting out for the last three weeks, which is absolutely absurd that the NHL is taking this approach? You hear a lot of people complain about the NBA's, um, uh, you know, uh, model of resting players and stuff like that. But clearly, this is for different reasons. But how do you how do you still hold value to players that have been out of the lineup for for three plus weeks? I mean, teams that are acquiring them have to have question marks saying, "Okay, we want to acquire the player. We believe he's good, but he hasn't played in three weeks, and now we're going to throw him into the uh, you know a, a roster that's competing for a playoff spot." Like you're already at a disadvantage doing that. You are, and and I mean, the only thing you know if you're the acquiring team is that they're healthy because they they haven't been playing in games and getting nicked up, but. Um, you know, I think it hurts. I think it actually hurts your ability to negotiate, right? Because you sit a player for a game and then he's traded. You know, look what Chicago did. They, they sat Sam Lafferty uh, on, on their last game and then they, they trade him the next day. Geno, same thing. They had a market for him, right? Yeah. But when you, when he did sits there, I think other teams that, that like those players will go, okay, well, you don't even have a trade because 
you're not playing them, but there's nothing happening. I think in a weird way it, it devalues, you know, what you can ask for for the asset, which is not not the intention, of course. You're you're just trying to you know, get some blood and keep make sure they're they're healthy. But I, yeah, I, I think that both both situations haven't been beneficial. Columbus thought at one point they're going to get a first and a third for Gavrikov. That that seems like it's going to be a difficult task now because I just don't see that out there for them. So, you know, maybe, maybe the league won't end up having to do anything, you know, for to, to to make this illegal because, you know, perhaps the teams are just going to learn that this wasn't reflect on it and say it wasn't the right decision. Didn't, didn't, didn't help the market. And then we won't do that again. Well, on behalf of everybody participating in trade center on Friday, no more deals. GMs wait until Friday to make them happen. You know, spread them out throughout the course of the afternoon uh, for us here at TSN. Thank you for doing this, Chris. We'll see you on Friday. And I look forward to that. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's going to be great. See you soon, guys. See you, pal. All right. Chris Johnston, our hockey insider. And, yeah, you know, wonder that names like Bertuzzi will emerge. and Dude, about JT Luke Schiller, Luke Shen. Like, but I, I'm talking more about names that haven't really been front of mind. Like, we're right. pretty sure Luke Shen's going to be traded. Gavrikov's going to be traded. But, I mean, like a JT Miller getting moved, that'd be mm-hmm. significant, right? I mean... For a team like Carolina, that's been you know somewhat speculated on at least on this show this morning. I mean, that would be a, a real move that you'd imagine if you're Carolina. I mean, you got to answer some of the moves that the other teams in the East have made, right? I mean, yeah. everybody else has made a, a real move ahead of the deadline, except them. So they're going to do something. Well, you know, I think St. Louis still wants to move some players. You know, does a Pareko and a Tory Crew get moved? Anaheim still hasn't hit the market. They've got John Klingberg. There's rumors of maybe John Gibson, their goaltender, maybe being available. Adam Henrique, one of their forwards. And, you know, you can even go to the Eastern Conference. Uh, Columbus hasn't made a move yet. Montreal has been sort of shuffling around the the cards a little bit. They acquire Gurianoff or Dadanoff. Philly hasn't made any moves yet. You know, what does Florida do? What does Buffalo do? Where does Pittsburgh stand? They've got a lot of probably pieces that teams would want too. So um, I think, you know, regardless of what we've seen so far, I still think you're going to see a flurry of, of moves. And it might be even just the minor moves, but it'll be a lot of fourth-line, third-line guys getting uh, the spotlight on trade deadline day on Friday. Yeah, no doubt about that. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they've made two significant trades ahead of the deadline. Ryan O'Reilly, Noel Achari, and then yesterday they acquired Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. We'll get back into that. We'll hear from Kyle Dubas uh, once again, top of the 8 o'clock hour, and we'll welcome in Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic for a more analytical view on the big acquisitions from the Leafs. That and more in Hour 3 of First Up next.